2: This is the Tom Hartman Program.
3: And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. Do we need a Marshall Plan for Central America? This all kind of wraps up with Kirsten Nielsen being kicked out of the Department of Homeland Security. Apparently, she went into this meeting with Donald Trump over the weekend. And then he apparently started yelling at her, and she had brought with her a letter of resignation that she was going to present to him if he was apparently as obnoxious as he normally is. And we've heard this story from lots and lots of people, pretty much everybody who has spoken, who has ever been in the White House, that he likes to scream, he likes to shout obscenities, he likes to belittle people, he likes to humiliate them. And, you know, that's just like the price of being able to have your name go down in history as a member of the cabinet of a president of the United States. You know, you want to be up there with Madison and Hamilton and and, uh, you know, and whatnot. Uh, Well, Madison was also a president, but, you know, Hamilton. uh, Burr. that's the price you have to pay. So anyhow, she she went in, she brought her letter of resignation and Trump started yelling at her. And before she could even say, I quit and pull the letter out, he said, you're fired. And then he tweeted it before she could release her letter to the press. You know, she's walking out of her office or out of the office or you know, something close to that. He tweets it. So what's going on here? Well, it turns out that she's just not being brutal enough. The Trump administration, after John Kelly and Stephen Miller came up with this brilliant idea, and Kirsten Nielsen, of course, was John Kelly's protege. She used to work for him over at the Pentagon, and he brought her along, and then she, she became DHS secretary. Their brilliant idea was people are coming here from Guatemala, Honduras, and, and El Salvador because they are fleeing basically brutality in those three countries. Those three countries were so badly broken by Elliot Abrams and his buddies in the Reagan administration. Elliot Abrams, the same guy who was convicted during the Iran Contra investigations and then was pardoned by President George Herbert Walker Bush at the recommendation of Bill Barr, who's now our Attorney General. He was the Attorney General back then too, in 1992. Elliot Abrams, who was pardoned, convicted war criminal, right, (laughs) who was pardoned, is now in charge of our Venezuela policy. So expect a war in Venezuela any day now. But in any case, what happened was we broke these three countries. We deposed a democratically elected uh, president in one. We supported a right-wing government in another. We helped build death squads in a third. And all three of these countries, now, you know, the country that's actually closest to us south of Mexico is Belize. But Belize back in the 80s when Reagan was president was still on the tail end of their whole English colonial thing, sort of like Canada was over the last 50 years or so. And there were still British troops in Belize. So Reagan didn't mess with Belize. Belize is doing just fine, thank you very much. Cruise ships go there, right? It's a vacation destination. Not so much for uh, Honduras, El Salvador, and uh, Guatemala. We broke these countries. So now as refugees are fleeing these countries, literally fleeing for their lives, coming to the United States, families. This is not your 20-something working age good, you know, healthy young man looking for a job. That's who used to come across our border. People like that have not come across our border since 2008. We've actually seen mostly Mexicans leaving the United States in larger numbers than they're coming into the United States, people who are looking for work. And in fact, that might be one of the reasons why our unemployment rate is so low right now, is because so many, quote, illegal immigrants have actually left this country. But the people who are coming to this country are families. Mostly mothers and their children. And so the policy that Kristen Nielsen and John Kelly and Donald Trump and mostly Stephen Miller. Steve Miller is like the white supremacist in chief in the White House. This guy who was like just has this weird high school history of racism and just bizarre humanness. The guy who puts spray spray hair on his head before he goes on on face the nation. Uh, this guy came up with this policy of let's just brutalize these families, these women and children, and the word will spread down to Central America that, you know, America's policy is just terrible. You don't want to go there, and fewer people will come. Well, they brutalized them. They tore apart thousands, thousands. We got something like 13,000 children being held right now in cages, in prisons in the United States, private prisons, very profitable business for buddies of the Trump administration. They're being paid hundreds of dollars per day per child to lock them in cages. So we did that. Many of these children have been lost into the system. God only knows how many have been sold or traded or bartered or something on the, on the National Child Exchange, whatever. It is. I mean, it's just it's truly bizarre. They literally can't find many of these children. No idea where they are. And so the message of our brutality got down to Central America and they were like, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather have my kid in foster care. I'd rather be, be sitting in jail than be dead because that's what so many of them are facing or be tortured or be raped. I mean, these are the things that these people are facing, literally. So what's Trump's response? Well, the 2020 election is coming. And him and Stephen Miller have decided that the winning, they know that the white racist vote is what got them in. So the winning message is going to be brown people are coming from south of the border. It's a screaming epidemic. We got to do something. Now, the fact of the matter is the number of brown people crossing the border is, yeah, it's higher now than it was a year ago, but it's it's radically lower. It's like one fifth of what it was in 2000. It's just it's a relatively tiny number. There is not a crisis at the southern border, but Donald Trump needs one. He needs a crisis in order to get himself reelected, in order to activate the racist vote, the white the white supremacist vote, the Stephen Miller vote. So how do we do that? How do we create a crisis south of the border? Hey, let's cut off foreign aid, the aid that we're providing to Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador to support democratic institutions. Let's cut off the aid to support their courts and police systems. Let's cut off the aid to, to support their, their uh, programs of assistance for farmers who are being pushed off their farms because global warming is literally causing desertification. You know, what used to be farmlands are becoming deserts in Central America right now. Literally global warming is part of this problem. Although the biggest part of the problem is you know, what Reagan did and Elliot Abrams, who's now in charge of our Venezuela policy did back in the 80s. So now they've got this Sophie's Choice program that they're floating, right? The Sophie's Choice program is, okay, you are arrested with your children. You're put in detention for 20 days. Now, the law says after 20 days, you can't be detained anymore with your children. So we're gonna tell you, okay, you've got a choice. You can continue being detained with your children voluntarily, which the law provides for, or you can surrender your children and we'll find another home for them. We'll, uh, you know, put them into the adoption market. Uh, Maybe we'll sell them. I don't know. We'll put them in foster care. We'll send them off to children's jails. I don't know what we're going to do with them, but this is your choice. Right? It's Sophie's choice. This is obscene. So my, my thought is what we need is a Marshall Plan for these three countries. We broke these three countries. You know, we broke Europe during World War II. Now, uh, you could say, you know, our breaking of, of Central America was something that was entirely voluntary, essentially. It wasn't necessary. You know, Reagan did this because these countries were going socialist, right? I mean, the big crime, as I recall, of uh, Guatemala was that they were uh, uh, building out something like a Medicare for All program. God forbid. and and Social Security. We can't have socialism in this hemisphere, so we had to take them down. So we destroyed these countries. Well, we destroyed Germany during World War II, too. And what did we do after World War II? We loaned them the money to rebuild. We gave them grants. We gave them loans. We didn't do the rebuilding ourselves. We let them do it so that they built local industries to help rebuild. We should be doing the same thing with Central America. But no, Donald Trump has cut off all the funding for Central America. Why? Because that's going to create more of a crisis. And over the course of the next year, see, he needs needs a million refugees at the border in September and October of 2020 in order to win the election in November, in order to convince even the white people with a little bit of latent racism that, oh my God, they're coming. And this is what he's doing. This is absolutely obscene. And we should be talking about this. You know, a a couple of the Democratic presidential candidates have talked about we need a Marshall Plan for Central America. I absolutely think we do. Meanwhile, Kristen Nielsen, you know, I started off by telling you how she got fired. And according to the law, I mean, literally the law, U.S. Code 113, subset G, the law says that if the Secretary of Homeland Security leaves her job, which is what just happened, or will happen on Wednesday, actually, if she leaves her job, her second in command becomes the person in charge, becomes the new secretary of Homeland Security. Well, the second command job has never been filled. Donald Trump doesn't give a rat's ass about democracies or government. And so it goes to number three. The number three is the undersecretary of management, Claire Grady. I don't know anything about Claire Grady except that Claire, and I'm assuming this is a female Claire, that she is a uh, you know, a long-term employee of the department. In other words, she's the logical choice, right? She knows what she's doing. She's been there for a while. But Trump is not going to do that. He says he's going to put Kevin, I think it's McAleenan. Anyhow, he's going to put him in charge. And and temporarily, because he needs to get a real hard-nosed guy in there, right? Somebody who's willing to do more than just brutalize children. I don't know what, are we going to start firing squads? Well, you know, we did, we did shoot tear gas across the border. It used to be that American foreign policy was, you know, about making the world safe for democracy and and implicit in that or secondary to that was making the world safe for capitalism. And, you know, we used to practice a little gentler form of capitalism, although it was still pretty brutal, but we allowed for things like labor unions and whatnot. And then came the Reagan presidency. And when Central American countries started talking about things like labor unions or Medicare or Social Security, Reagan was like, oh, you can't do that. Are you kidding? We've got to have dictators. We've got to have death squads. We've got to make Central America safe for big corporations. But... You know, it used to be that we basically, we would extend aid to countries like we did with Europe. Now, I realize we, there were banana republics, there were countries that we oppressed. Honduras was one of them. I mean, back, you know, literally, that's where the phrase banana republic came from, was United Fruit Company's behavior in both Honduras and in Hawaii. And, uh, you know, and that was during the Eisenhower administration and some during the Kennedy administration. But, but at its core those countries that we wanted to have as allies long-term. And I think we're, we're, we're way past the Monroe Doctrine, right? That anything that happens in the Western Hemisphere is our business, right? I, I, that, that hasn't flown for 50 years. And so we have to reach out to these countries and say, we would like to be strategic allies with you. And how you do that, you help them build democratic institutions. You help them rid themselves of the of the of the, the the drug cartels and the and the death squads and the and the right-wing dictators and the and the phony baloney mayors and governors who are actually owned by the local drug cartels. You help build the institutions of democracy. We need a 21st century Marshall Plan that starts with Central America. The refugees on our southern border, Donald, Donald Trump sees refugees. And by the way, we need to stop the media from calling them migrants. These people are not migrants. They are refugees. They are fleeing. They are seeking refuge. They are not immigrants who are seeking, you know, a, a, a life in a different country. Just, you know, hey, let's pick a country. No, no. These are Refugees. And Donald Trump wants a, an explosion of refugees on our southern border so that he can get himself reelected in 2012 or 2020, excuse me. And by the way, little scary news: this from uh, CNBC, Thomas Frank uh, writing 70, 70%. They did a survey of the smartest people on Wall Street, right? And I put smartest in quotes. Let's say the richest people on Wall Street, the people on Wall Street who are actually making money. And they ask them, uh, who do you think is going to win the 2020 election? And if it's a Democrat, what Democrat would you like to see? What Democrat would you most like to see, least like to see? And what the what the uh, the masters of the universe, the billionaires on Wall Street, seventy percent of them, seven zero, seven out of ten of them, said that Donald Trump is going to get reelected. Seventy percent. And then, continuing, this is this is uh, the. Uh, RCB's head of U.S. equity strategy wrote to clients, quote, Joe Biden is the most acceptable Democratic candidate by the stock market for the White House. No other candidate got a significant number of votes. Elizabeth Warren is seen by the majority as the least acceptable Democratic candidate by Wall Street. But anyhow, you know, Trump wants to have this crisis on the border. He's creating it himself. We need to use this as an opportunity to fix our foreign policy. You know, Louise and I just got back from Mexico, and uh, we took a week's vacation uh, with my brother and his family, but it was also a week that I could finish up writing this this book on voting that I've been working on. And while we were there, uh, my brother-in-law, or my brother and sister-in-law rented a house that we all shared. And it, it, it had, you know, a, a Wi-Fi that was kind of public Wi-Fi. And, uh, you know, going to town, there's public Wi-Fi. At the airport, there's public Wi-Fi. Pretty much everywhere I was, I didn't know, you know, whether it was secure or not, but I was not concerned because Louise and I both use ExpressVPN. I have it on my iPhone. I have it on my computer. Louise has it on her laptop. I have it on my laptop. Uh, She has it on her iPad. Uh, ExpressVPN, it's one click. It secures and anonymizes your internet browsing. In fact, when we were in Mexico, uh, if you know it, it would have looked to any website pretty much like we were in the United States because the Express VPN uh, apparently was just dropping our data and you know encrypted from where we were in Mexico, right into the United States, you know, into a main pipeline and uh, completely safe, completely secure. Uh, with Ex- Express VPN, I can surf any Wi-Fi without worrying about my personal data being stolen and it's less than seven bucks a month. For less than $7 a month, you can get the same protection that Louise and I have. And ExpressVPN has been rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar. It comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. You can protect your online activity now and get three months free at expressvpn.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com T-H-O-M. three months free with a one-year package this is a product i love endorsing this product i actually use it expressvpn is something you should have visit expressvpn.com to learn more and thanks for supporting
2: our program you're listening to tom hartman
3: dave in inverness florida hey dave thanks for watching free speech tv what's on your mind today
2: Maybe you ought to have John Perkins come in and explain how he used to affect foreign policy down there. We're the ones that make these countries an asshole country. Yeah. With our foreign policy. Yeah, it really, really is. Reason, and by the people way, people
3: uh, apropos people. of that word, and thank you for not saying the whole word, Louise and I went to see Marvel over the weekend, the new uh, you know, Marvel action movie that's got a woman as the hero. Yeah. And have you seen it, Dave? No, I haven't. Oh, this is incredible. I mean, it's it's really a, a movie made for teenagers, but it's just it's it's a great movie. But in it, it's got all these hits on Trump in it. It starts out, you know, like the 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 the, the kind of you know white nationalist bad guys are sitting around talking about planet Earth, and they call it an s hole planet. And, and then and then and then they start talking about there's this other race that they're having this war with, and they start talking about infestations. And I mean, they're literally borrowing language from Stephen Miller and, and Donald Trump. But anyhow, back to you, Dave. I'm sorry I interrupted you.
2: No, I, I yeah, I'm very well aware of. But you know, remember his, his last book he just wrote. Uh, uh, it says that he added a new chapter to it because they're using the same techniques on us. You're talking about John Perkins. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They depressed us when they shipped my job. I was. I'm an engineer. They shipped my job to Mexico. And I went from Mexico to China. You know, it gets me talking about this whole foreign policy thing. NAFTA free trade agreement, North Atlantic free trade agreement. It should be ratified by Congress like war, you know, because uh, like, and they should call them treaties, not trade deals. It was Nixon
4: that started this.
3: That's you're yeah. absolutely right, David. It did start with Nixon, and it's because he couldn't get his deal with China through that he was actually doing on behalf of Pepsi Cola, who was spiffing
2: him, and. Oh, yeah
3: that's where it all began. Nixon wanted some money from Pepsi
2: uh, I, I remember I, I always wondered what Henry Kissinger uh, promised the Chinese when he said you know' they're, they're, they're going to make them rich men so yeah
3: you know. he he, he uh, well yeah so so nixon Nixon wanted to cut this he wanted to quote open China to America. Congress wasn't having it. The Constitution clearly says that only Congress actually only the Senate can ratify treaties. And That's Nixon, right. with two-thirds of a vote, Nixon couldn't get two-thirds of the senators to support opening, opening uh, economically to a communist country. And so he came up with this thing called trade authority and got that passed as law with a simple majority, and then that requires simple majority, both houses, actually, in this case, to ratify these trade deals. And thus we got NAFTA, and then we got CAFTA, and then we got the South Korean, and all these deals. And I agree with you, Dave. I think all of these deals are illegal. They're all unconstitutional. And and every single one of them should be redone as a treaty and should be ratified by the Senate, because that's what treaties are for, as it says in the my, Constitution. My experience,
2: Tom, when I was working for a Fortune 500 company in Toledo, Ohio, I'm from Toledo, they sold, the circumvent the law, we, we couldn't have trade with China, so what they did, they spent, and I know it for a fact, because we sent them the drawings of our plant, our machinery, and then they formed another corporation with a company in uh, Belgium,
3: Right. Uh, they they make aspirin. Yeah, I won't, I won't oh, yeah, yeah, that company. Either, yeah. So it got laundered, basically, is what's going yeah. on. Dave, thanks for sharing your story with us. It's great to hear from you. I appreciate it.
2: You're listening to Tom Hartman.
3: China is reaching out across the planet, building alliances based on economics, right, which I mean, if you look at the history of the United States, one of the things that you find in terms of presidential elections is that when the economy is doing well, presidents tend to get reelected. When the economy is doing poorly, presidents tend to get kicked out and replaced. It's axiomatic. It's, it's a simple rule that I, I can't think of any exceptions to, frankly. And, you know, economics is what people feel. It's, you know, do I have a job or not? Can I buy things? Is my money any good? Uh, You know, do I have a future? Will my children do better than me? All these things, this is economics. And economics drives politics more than anything else. And the Chinese get this and they're reaching across the world and instead of saying to uh, Ecuador, instead of saying, let us build a military base or we'll bomb you or we'll send death squads in, like we say to, you know, Honduras, they're saying, "Hey, would you like seventeen billion dollars? Because that's how much they've loaned to Ecuador to build airports and ports and roads. They're building literally these are infrastructure projects in the Caribbean. Trinidad and Tobago are doing this. The founder of Panama's no, most influential newspaper, La Prensa, is a guy named Roberto Eisman, Eisenman. Excuse me, and he pointed out that uh, Panama now no longer recognizes Taiwan." As an independent country, they're saying, oh, yeah, Taiwan, that's part of China, which is what the Chinese want. He said, uh, you know, he's talking about this and and he says they are leaving a vacuum of leadership, they being the United States, that obviously the Chinese are trying to fill. This was started in 2012, this Belt and Road Initiative. Meanwhile, here in the United States, we're doing the America First Initiative, which means trash everybody, especially countries that aren't filled with white people mark in Delta Junction is it Arkansas it's Alaska Alaska okay I I thought it was a typo it says AK and I I thought we were okay Delta Junction Alaska so what's on your mind Mark
5: I'm an old retired school teacher I spent half my life up here in Alaska and teaching in Southeast Asia but also in Venezuela Mm -hmm. and my old teacher buddies from Venezuela and I are really concerned about Trump taking us to war there We're worried that he's going to turn that place into another Libya. And uh, there's an organization, or there was when I was teaching in Venezuela, called SEVAS. We have these all over the planet. It's supposed to be a joint commercial development organization between the United States and Venezuela. Mm -hmm. It's run by a bunch of guys who are all ex-military intelligence people i used to drink beer and shoot darts with those guys when i was roaming around south america and central america hmm. and it looks to us like we're going to do the same damn thing to venezuela that we did with musa and iran the same the same set of circumstances
3: for those of us who have lived down there seem to be happening right now. Yeah, it's not that we're Damn. going to. We are in the middle of the process, Mark.
5: We're going to lose there, though, Tom. The deal is, Venezuela, and I've been around Venezuela from La Frontera de Colombia to the Andes Mountains to the Llanos. They're going to make Vietnam look like uh, Disney World. Hmm. There's just a lot, down, and Venezuelans are a proud and honorable people. And for decades, we've been training their military. Yeah,
6: yeah.
3: So our uh, worry is that's what we're getting ourselves into. Yeah, Greg, Greg Greg Palast was on this show a little while ago, Mark, and he he knows Maduro. In fact, he knew Hugo Chavez personally, and he said that if you look at the Maduro government, it is almost all people of color. If you look at this, uh, who's the usurper, I'm forgetting. Guido. Yeah, thank you. Uh, if you look at him and his government, they are all European ancestry, they're all white. And basically, it's the wealthy white power structure versus the native-based indigenous um, uh, group that basically rose up and took over power there with Chavez. Do you, do you, does that mean, is that, you know? I mean, given that's that you lived in the area, is that dumb, an accurate a, characterization? that's exactly the case and the, f- the fact is that
5: we have been supporting and bolstering the right wing of uh, Venezuela like Colombia for decades now yeah but again the worry is we're going to turn that place into uh, you know another vietnam and and it's just going to be a mess yeah well and, uh, you know according th- note we appreciate the the six or seven progressive alaskans that exist up here really appreciate your program thank you
3: very much <laughs> keep you, doing mark. what you're doing tom yeah thank you very much i will i will do my very best and thanks for uh, for validating my perceptions and 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 greg's reporting it's great to hear from you i'm telling you we have the, the most well-informed well-traveled thoughtful and knowledgeable listeners and viewers on earth mark thank you again can James in Mineola, Texas say, hey James, what's on your mind today?
4: I wanted to ask you, do you have, do you have like black friends? Yeah. yeah. What do they tell you about the immigration thing?
3: I'm not sure I've had that conversation with anybody who's black recently. Um, well, what's your because, point, James?
4: Because there are a lot of black people, like, I, like Otis called earlier. Mm-hmm. He listened to Yvette Carnell as well. And he knows... How she feels about immigration, and it just seems like every time you sit there and say you're against immigration or that much immigration, right. somehow you're labeled as a racist or, you know, uh, uh, a Trump supporter. Right. You don't have to be a Trump supporter in order to believe that the, Ill- the illegal immigration is hurting your community. Well, you it's know?
3: it's not so much illegal immigration; it's people hiring illegal immigrants.
6: But if, if what you're
3: talking is- about is the imp- is the economic impact of all this?
4: I'm saying that to translate from paperwork from English to Spanish costs. I'm saying when they go to the hospital, it costs. I'm saying when they're in your schools, it costs i'm saying all that i'm saying when they yeah james the
3: the the math has been done the amount of the amount of money that uh quote illegal immigrants end quote the undocumented people who are working in this country the amount of money that they're paying into social security and they're paying in taxes is greater than the expense those costs the one area where you can build a case that there's a cost is when labor markets are not tight and particularly people at the bottom of the economic pile, which would be poor black people, poor white people, um, are finding that the jobs that might have been available to them are being taken by people who are in this country illegally because they're willing to work for even less than minimum wage as long as it's under the table. And I that's one other question for you. And that's something that we need to do away with. We
4: need to end that. You know, I get that. Before, okay. I got one other question. You're talking about rebuilding their countries down there, right? Yeah. But don't you think America has a responsibility to to, to, to rebuild? The american black black families and stuff first or the
6: black yeah, community absolutely. the the the
3: average the average white family in the united states has around eighty thousand dollars worth of worth of uh, equity essentially you know wealth the average black family in the united states it's around five thousand dollars worth of wealth that disparity is purely the result of five centuries or four centuries of slavery and then institutionalized uh, you know uh, so, racism so, isn't even the right word you know uh, so apartheid. Make me understand
4: this then. so when you say so when you say that just that easily, why can't your guy Bernie, Bernie Sanders understand that?
3: He does that's why he supports no, reparations.
4: He
5: no, he did not
3: and and he's no, not he my guy not. he's know you know i haven't I've not endorsed sorry, anybody in the like primaries. That. Uh, you know, I think Bernie's probably the strongest candidate, and he's certainly the front runner right now. But, I, you know, the, I, I'm telling you, James, the, every single progressive in the field gets it. They all get it, that this is, this is the legacy of racism in the United States, and we need to do something about it. The discussion we need to have in the United States, and this is what everybody is, is encouraging, frankly, everybody from Kamala Harris to, to Bernie Sanders to Elizabeth Warren, is how do we go about doing this? right i mean this was this was a small piece of the conversation around the great society back in the mid-sixties how do we go about making right what was what was and is to this day wrong and there is a you know a lot of ideas and a lot of different ways to do it and it's a conversation that we need to have we absolutely need to have james and tragically The word reparations is being used by Trump and white racists, and they will be using it aggressively in the coming election as a way of saying to white people, we're going to take your money as taxes and give it to undeserving black people.
2: You're listening to Tom Hartman.
3: Hey, thanks so much for listening to our podcast. One of our sponsors is the X-Chair. And I got to tell you, they've got this new thing, Dynamic Variable Lumbar Support. they call called DVL. The X-Chair's DVL is really designed to adjust for you. I mean, you know, the average chair, maybe it goes up and down, right? This thing really is totally customizable. Whether you're 5'2 and 110 pounds or 6'4 and 250, the X-Chair actually will adapt itself to you. And now with the introduction of the X-Basic model, there's an X Chair for every body type and every budget. Take advantage of the X Chair's new financing option to pay as little as 30 bucks a month. to so take your comfort and productivity to the next level for less than the cost of a daily cup of coffee. And X Chair is also on sale now for $100 off. So just go to X Chair Tom, T H O M, X Tom.com, X Chair or call 1 844 4X Chair. Comes with a 30-day no-questions-asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. And if you use the code XWHEELS over at XChairTom.com now, you'll also receive a free set of the new XWHEELS with your chair. That's XChairTom, T-H-O-M, XChairTom.com. Alina in Seattle. Hey, Alina, what's on your mind today?
7: Hi Tom, uh you were talking about um uh Sophie's Choice and uh, I am I'm originally from Russia. I, this is this is so much like what Stalin did. Um uh, How uh, so? Well, he um uh he would arrest uh people and put them in concentration camps and then he would uh take their children away and if they were not lucky to have any relatives to take them they would he would put them in foster care mm-hmm. and change their name wow. so that when the parents got out they could not find them
3: wow and yeah, that's so, incredible
7: this is one more step the Trump administration hasn't taken yet as far as we know
3: yeah although you know how many of these children might have gotten adopted or whatever I mean you know there's geez it's incredible Elena, thank you.
7: Yeah, my uh, grandfather, um, my, my great-grandmother was uh, put in the concentration camp for 20 years because she was married to an enemy of the people who was executed. And my grandfather was lucky to have an aunt, uh, and so she, she took him in, and when his mother got out, he was able to find her because wow. they didn't change his name. So.
3: And an enemy of the people, was that a journalist or was that an, a political activist? Or do you not know? Uh, he was, uh
7: He was in the war, and um, um, uh, he, he they thought that he betrayed uh, uh, the USSR.
3: Yeah, interesting. Elena, thank you for sharing that story with us. It's extraordinary. I, I, I appreciate the call. And, boy, people's personal... Whew. Michael in Denver. Hey, Michael, what's on your mind today?
8: Hello, Tom. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, I just wanted to add to the discourse. It's uh, You've already mentioned some of the things that uh... i wanted to bring to the discourse here but uh... i just wanted to say that one of the things that we need to do is to continually bring to the uh... what um, american diplomacy has been i'm going to say since you know the beginning of the twentieth century at least where we propped up dictators all over you know the world basically for economic um basically for economic reasons and also to have you know uh, uh the checkerboard across the planet of american might military might i'm uh i'm, par- I'm part cuban american and i grew up in a household after the uh, uh the uh revolution i grew up in a household which was totally against uh, fidel castro and the regime After, now I'm 70 years old, and after going through that, uh, you know, that experience, um, I've I've found that uh, although no one is perfect, what had to happen in Cuba had to happen because what was going on, that was basically uh, an an American oligarchy on the island controlled everything.
3: Right, Batista. Yeah,
8: yeah, Batista and and all. I, I hate to put it in, in, in these terms, if you, if you were to watch the Godfather 2 movie, there's just a lot. It's, it's fictionalized, but it's fictionalized after real facts of what was going on in Cuba with the setting up of um, the casinos down there and all the luxury that was going to be basically for American and other, you know, uh, other countries, uh, capitalistic countries and all that. It, it dragged down. I was there just before the revolution, you know, took hold. and I remember the bombs going off like they did in the movies in the movie and stuff like that we've done this all over the planet Tom and now the the chickens are coming who was it um, Malcolm X the chickens are coming uh, home to roost Yep. and I'm I'm just going to end with this Tom I really honestly think that this is the end of the American experiment, 241 years of what was an imperfect, but a, what, a, what a magnificent, magnificent, you know, document the Constitution is and how we declared independence, you know, from uh, Europe, you know, the European oligarchs at that time. But I honestly think... It's over, Tom. I, I, I really don't have a whole hell of a lot of hope. Yeah. Uh, how are we going to take control of things when we have literally, literally uh, uh, almost another planet size of, of, of an economy that just goes against you know the will of the people and 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 the freedom and the health of the people. That's yeah. so all I wanted to say. I'm not I'm not to... ready
3: Michael. I you know I absolutely get everything you're saying and there are times particularly when I look at what Mitch McConnell's doing with our courts which is going to yeah. have a shocking and lasting impact that is not going to it's not going to sink into people for probably about a year maybe two. Um, probably after the election that you're going to start seeing these judges start just issuing these wackadoodle orders. Uh, you know, crazy right-wing stuff. Um, But I'm not ready to write the obituary for the United States or for the American experiment because um, where we're at right now is not that different from where we were at in the 1920s. Uh, Harding, Coolidge, and Hoover, those three presidents, Harding was elected, the top tax rate was 91% when Harding ran for president, and there was heavy regulation in the banking industry because of the crash of 1897. And Harding came in on two slogans, cutting taxes, And when he became president, he cut the top tax rate from 91% down to 25% in 1921. And what he called more industry and government, less government and industry. In other words, privatize and deregulate. And he did those things, and that kicked off the Roaring Twenties, which was actually a time of increasing poverty among working people, but radical explosions of wealth at the top, particularly in the top 5%. And that led directly to the crash of 1929, and that led to franklin roosevelt and the progressive era and when i look at the democratic candidates the democratic field about half of them and you know with really a good solid chance of winning uh, about half of them are solid progressives they are they are in the mold of franklin roosevelt and i think that this this election is our last chance
8: well i i agree with you tom because you know, it just seems like we have the right minds and the right people and also the right gender right now, I think, to lead this country. So I agree with you, you know, on that point. And I hope we can take this car that we're in and get off this highway and get on the right highway. Yeah, I'm
3: with you. Michael, thank you very well said. And thanks for sharing your story with us. Joan in Pittston, Pennsylvania, listening to WS-T-E. Hey, Joan, what's up?
9: Hi, Tom. I'm a big fan of your show, and I'm really enjoying it, especially today because you talk about so many things that I want to be listening to. But I need you to help me fight the water cooler war. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I live in Pennsylvania, and I have to tell you the area where I live, near Scranton, Wilkes-Barre, very, very uh, pro-Trump, very, the vocal, the media anyway, um, and very, very against immigration. I mean, people are getting downright, Nasty around here. Sure. It's happening all over the country, Gene.
6: Yeah.
9: It's awful. And um, my problem is when I think about it, when they say asylum seekers can come into the country, there is a part of me as a progressive, as a democratic socialist, as a radical that is like, well, where are, where is everybody going to go? And is it just going to become like a new browning of america which Mm -hmm. i'm not saying that's good or bad it's just the way it is but like where is everybody gonna go what would be a sane way to um let asylum seekers in and people that want to uh, better their lives and save their lives there's
3: there's two responses to your question gene one is um a there's there's plenty of room in the united states there's plenty of land if you look at you know, dense population areas like the Northeast uh, Corridor, for example, uh, you know, where you've got, uh, in some cases, hundreds of thousands of people per square mile, um, and compare the resources to places like that, to places like, um, uh, you know, the Midwest or the, the Western states, there is plenty of land, there's plenty of resources. The United States, our population is 340 million more or less right now. Um, you know, we could, we could easily add a couple hundred million people you know, gradually, and it wouldn't make any difference. And in fact, that's what we were on on course to do. I mean, we were only a couple hundred, 200 million people in 1950, you know, and now we're over, over 340. But um, that said, you know, we were on course to do that mostly through birth, and births, as, as women have gotten rights, particularly reproductive rights, um, births have flattened and, in fact, declined slightly. And mm-hmm. um, so... So what's happening is that the new the new blood that's coming into the country is immigrant blood, and historically we've we've uh, welcomed about a million immigrants a year. I mean, since yeah. the '20s, and uh, Trump wants to cut that back radically now that his. Uh, wife has become a successful immigrant and she was the anchor baby for her parents. Her parents now Mm -hmm. are successful immigrants. Now that he's got, you Mm -hmm. know, his white family here, then it's like, close the doors now, right? So so that's the one thing, you know, that it's not going to be a problem. Uh, But the other thing is, uh, you know, I mean, it's not going to be a problem technically, but the other thing is the cultural impact and the political impact. And that is that when you have people coming into your country who do not share uh, your language, and uh-huh. in, to some extent, do not share your culture. Now, I would argue that Mexican culture and American culture are not that different. They're both what you would call Western civilization, and that you uh-huh. know the Catholicism carried by most Mexican and, and Central American immigrants is not that different from even the Protestantism that dominates the United States. Um, uh-huh. The major difference is racial, right, that, that uh, you know, 70-some-odd percent of Americans are, are European ancestry, white people, basically. And, uh-huh. and, you know, we're seeing now 17% of our population is Hispanic and 13% is African-American. and yeah. And as those numbers increase, then you start to see backlash. And there is a measurable number, a measurable percent of people who are... Uh, you know, quote, not like us. I guess it would be how most countries yeah. would describe it—a uh, measurable percentage of immigrants that can be accepted into a country every single year without causing backlash. Uh, it's and and that's people who can who can come into the country and be assimilated and become part of the culture, so that by the second generation, they're talking like Americans, they're thinking like Americans, even though they may uh, they may speak a second language, they may still uh, and obviously they still look like they're not european ancestry but they they have basically integrated themselves into the american culture and mainstream that historically was the case and and i think largely still is the case i think trump is exaggerating this that's not what happened in several european countries it's not what happened when germany took a million people from you know refugees came through libya many of them syrians it's not what happened when sweden took them and so you've got these major right-wing white nationalist backlash movements going on in those countries the one in this country is more just good old-fashioned racism I'm frankly not all that concerned about it, Gene, but we do need to be thinking in those terms. That's why we need comprehensive immigration reform. You're
2: listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives.
3: Thanks, Gene. That was a great question. If you're like me, then safeguarding your money through market downturns is a clear priority, and frankly, we've seen enough market volatility to make any investor nervous. For people like us who think outside the box and read between the lines, it's becoming even more clear that the insider secret of accumulating physical gold is becoming a lot less of a secret and more of a trend. According to the World Gold Council in 2018 alone, central bank gold purchases increased by over 74%. The bottom line is that we are starting to see the cracks forming in our economy. And the faster you take action, the better your opportunity. There's only one company I personally recommend in this industry, and that's the expert strategists at ITM Trading. They specialize in wealth protection and opportunity positioning. Both, as you know, are imperative in our current economic climate. Call my friends at ITM Trading at one own gold Ask for their free gold protection guide and hedge your bets like the top 1% do. Call 1-888-OWN-GOLD. That's one 888 GOLD. 1-888-OWN-GOLD. 1-888-OWN-GOLD. Barbara in Sun City, Arizona. Hey, Barbara, what's on your mind today?
10: The toughening up of uh, Homeland Security and ICE, I think, has a lot to do with the uh... recent Supreme Court ruling that indefinite um detention of uh immigrants that is just this draconian measure pre versus Nielsen that overturned the Ninth Circuit in California that there's no bond. I mean that's just slave labor. I mean come on across the border you you know, even if you're not even if you're you have some old Um, uh, 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 court record, they'll pick you up. uh, You're in jail, and you're there for as long as they feel like keeping you. Right, and
3: And we had a caller earlier, I think his name was Otis, who was talking about how in the 14th Amendment there is this exception to equal protection under the law which says that if you have engaged in rebellion or other crimes, and, and so because crossing the border is a misdemeanor, It's a minor crime, but it is a, quote, crime. There are now some people, um, uh, and actually one or two people among the presidential candidates on the Democratic side, who are saying it's time to, uh, this is Julian Castro's whole thing, it's time to decriminalize this. That is, make it still a violation, but make it a purely civil violation. It's no longer a, quote, crime, which means that you can no longer put people into involuntary slavery, essentially.
10: Yeah, I mean, Arizona, we had... uh Joe Arpaio, and they, they just used forced labor. And it's Nielsen, you know, I mean, it's her
3: name on it. And now he's, he's fired the, the head of the Secret Service, too, or he's asked for his resignation.
10: And yeah, I mean, he's, he's just scary as could be. And Miller, you know, I mean, what the heck is that? The Jewish kid who, who I lived in Santa Monica when he was in high school I was like, what? <laughs> there were Jews in the Third Reich. I know.
3: I mean, they, most me, of them didn't last past about 1939 or 1940, but there were Jews in, in the higher levels of the Third Reich. And, well,
10: Breitbart used to be in San, and uh, they still are in Santa Monica. Yeah. And I think he was uh, an experiment, like Trading Places, the movie. We yeah. can turn this little Jewish kid into a Nazi.
3: Wow. That's, uh, that's pretty grim. I know. That is, that is pretty grim. Barbara, thank you for the call, and thanks for watching Free Speech TV. It's... Uh we'll see how it all shakes out. But go back and read the rise and fall of the Third Reich and notice what happened when Hitler finally seized complete control of the security apparatus of the German state. It was not pretty. It led right to the SS. Ed in Klamath Falls, Oregon. Hey, Ed, what's on your mind
6: today?
0: Right, Tom. I think you misunderstand Trump's take on Central America. He's looking for a return on investment. That's what he considers uh, foreign aid to be, or an investment. And he wants to get a return on it, and he doesn't want the return to be uneducated banana pickers.
3: Well, no, it's the other way around. The, the return, you know, that, that investment that we made in those three countries post-Reagan policies was explicitly in the law, I mean explicitly, to help them stabilize their countries so as not to be sending refugees into our country or into Mexico or both. And that's why Trump is cutting off the foreign aid to those countries. He wants more refugees on the southern border so that he can campaign against brown people coming into our country. This is the Stephen Bannon strategy. Stephen Bannon is traveling around Europe right now teaching largely white European countries how, you know, right-wing... Um, you know, want to be politicians in those countries, teaching them how to demonize black and brown people and and people of other religions, principally Islam, uh, how to demonize them in their countries. And that's what Donald Trump is doing here. But he doesn't have enough Hispanics in the United States to really totally demonize them. There's not enough Hispanic crime in the United States. There's not enough people crossing the southern border that he can that he can say, hey, we have a we have a crisis, and any news media uh, with any integrity at all will say, yes, there's a crisis. And so he's got to create a crisis, and that's why he's cutting off foreign aid to these countries, Ed.
0: No, I, I don't agree. I, I think that uh, he's cutting off foreign aid to the world because he's, he's thinking about return on investment strictly. He's a businessman, and he's looking for a return on his investment, a good bottom line return.
3: So what's a good, in your mind, what's a good bottom line return on an investment in in uh, the, the Northern Triangle countries in, in Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador.
0: Oh, Guatemala, Nicaragua, and El Salvador are banana plantations. They're not actual okay. countries.
3: Well, they are actual countries, Ed. Come on, these are, these are,
0: these no, are nations. They're, they're, they're banana plantations run by corrupt dictators that uh, cut uh, money off the top of every 4 dollars we send to them.
3: Okay, so what would be a good return on investment in those countries?
0: Stay home, pick bananas, and, and be happy.
3: Stability. Internal stability. You got it. Right. You ever been to Costa Rica, Ed?
0: Don't want to be.
3: Okay. Well, it's right next door, more or less. and uh, Or Belize, for that matter. I've been in both countries. Um, both countries have national health care systems. Both countries have, have strong labor laws. Both countries have the rule of law. Both countries are peaceful. In El Salvador, you can go to college all the way up to MD, completely tuition-free. Um, I, I'm not sure about Belize. I know that they've got a strong public education system and those countries are doing well we didn't wreck those countries belize is the northernmost costa rica south um you know of these countries in central and and northern south america and but we broke these other three countries ed i mean to the extent that they're banana plantations we made them that way don't we have any obligation to those people in your mind
0: we made them that way because that's exactly what we want them to be
3: I don't think any more. I don't think that we're really importing any much of consequence from those countries any longer. They're they're too they're 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 too chaotic. There's you know when was the last time you saw something that was, you know some food in the supermarket that had the sticker made in Honduras? They're grown in Honduras. Yeah,
0: when you store bought bananas last week.
3: Yeah, well maybe maybe okay maybe you've got some, but uh, you know mostly what I'm seeing is fruit coming from Mexico. And coming from Chile, and coming from Argentina, coming from Brazil, coming from Peru, I'm not seeing so much coming from there. And I think it's because they're so unstable. Check in with Talk Media News and find out what's up in the world today. On the line with us is Bob Day, the author of Sideswiped, former congressman from Ohio. Congressman, welcome back to the program. What's going on?
11: Well, Tom, let's go at least with Revolutionary Guards and immigration. Okay. One's one's international and one is domestic and, of course, international.
3: Well, with regard to the Revolutionary Guard, as one of the, as I believe you were the only member of Congress who speaks Farsi, the language spoken in Iran, and who has lived and worked in Iran, um, uh, now now that Trump has declared essentially the Iranian military as a terrorist organization, uh, A, is my characterization accurate, and B, what does that mean?
11: Well, it is accurate. It is now. It's and I, and I believe it's one of the first times we've actually declared a foreign country's military as a terrorist organization, if I'm correct, or at least in modern history here. And what it means, and, and look, let's let's clarify right off the bat: the Revolutionary Guards are no uh, picnic in the park. Okay, you know we, we know there's there's issues and problems, but uh... this is just another piece of the puzzle you and i've talked about john bolton the national security adviser you know his his goals he has publicly said he wants iran nuked. you know he's been on this issue from day one he's in the white house et cetera so he's behind you know these policies obviously with the secretary of state uh, pompeo that's sympathetic to them and what this basically means though is that we could have our own backlash off of it because it's not just an issue of the revolutionary guards it's the fact that anybody they work with so as you know iran is basically embedded in iraq thanks to george bush of forty three uh... iran has more control of iraq than they've ever had but they've also been helpful to iraq and in another way they've also helped drive out our enemies which is isis and al-qaeda which they're also enemies of iran but in fact, the Lebanese army and the Iraqi army dealing with these revolutionary guards uh, then become liable to have a problem with us on sanctions and fines and possible imprisonment. So we may have a backlash of our own military not being able to communicate with other certain military that we frankly need to. So Trump's policy
3: of trashing Iran in the desperate hope to have a war with Iran to, to get himself reelected. I, I think he's kind of given up on that and really wants to have his war with Venezuela or with refugees at the southern border. Just make sure it's somebody who's not white and not Christian, right? Uh, he doesn't care. But it, it seems like his, his efforts to demonize Iran are actually backfiring on us in Iraq. It, does this put our soldiers at risk, Bob?
11: Oh, absolutely. It puts our military at risk. It puts our our leverage at risk. It puts our ability to interact, for example, in Iraq at risk, and it goes a little step further. The Revolutionary Guards, which again, I'm not saying they don't have problems, I'm not saying that, they, that they're a walk in the park, but they also have different interests and different organizations, and some of them functioning in Europe, which means Europeans by the way, Europeans, legitimate business Europeans who have to deal with Iran uh, will in fact potentially become criminals, and those, some of those are our allies. So that's another area I think we have to look at. I mean, the venom towards Iran is so so bad by John Bolton and uh, Trump's advisors that it's come down to this, because this is a move. Look, President Obama thought about it. President Bush thought about it. They had discussions because, you know, this issue's been thrown around before. And they've all decided not to do it. And one of the reasons is it's, it's an extraordinary step that, again, our own military, by the way, uh, Tom, you'll see some stories, I, I guarantee you, in the next two days, our own military were not supportive of this. Our military, our generals in the Pentagon. Hmm. Which should tell you something. And uh, John Bolton's a key part of this. I know I, I like to yeah. use him as a punching bag, but I think he deserves it in most of these cases. Yeah. The immigration issue. Stephen Miller. You look at his history with Michelle Bachmann, John Shattig, you know, uh, uh, the uh, control within the Trump organization quickly, you know, within the White House inner circle. He's now made a full circle because the Homeland Security Secretary is out. Now Miller in the White House has been designated as the ground-on guy in the White House to make these decisions on immigration. And Miller is after not just, quote, illegal immigration, He's after immigration. Period. So you're going to see a great wave of change, even stronger towards uh, legal immigration itself, too. It and, unless to it's Miller, Norway, Stephen Miller. I'm sorry.
3: Unless it's Norway, Trump, Trump, Trump asked out loud, "Why can't? Why don't we get more immigrants from Norway?" Right. He wants. Oh, he wants white Europeans yes. to immigrate into the United States. He just doesn't want brown people or Hispanics or or uh, Muslims.
11: And and it's happening and you're making a, a very legitimate point, Tom, because you know, I I'm predicting today and I think you know this, we're gonna see probably in the next five or six months hardcore statistics somehow on what's actually going on in the embassies, and it's gonna center right back to Stephen Miller, the control he has that not only on the of the people coming across the border and the policies, but in fact, uh, absolute legal immigration of fiancé visas, student visas, immigrations, green cards into America. You are going to see a dramatic, silent change.
3: Yeah, I, I, I believe you're absolutely right, Bob. And and we're already seeing that. I mean, Mar a Lago, Trump is importing people, white people from Europe, to work in Mar a Lago. He likes those immigrants or those uh, those uh, HB1 or HB3 workers, those visa workers. But uh, as long as they're white people, just fine. Uh, Bob right. Nay, thank you so much, Bob. Thank you,
2: Tom. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Sam, what's on your mind? Trump says he wants to go in a tougher direction with the immigration thing. Mm -hmm. We've already got concentration camps. What's his next step? Is he talking about firing squads and gas chambers? Is he talking about putting machine gun nests all along the border? They did fire tear gas
3: at refugees a little while ago, you'll recall.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm a history buff, but if you look at the logical progression of this kind of thing, the good people in Germany had no idea what Hitler was going to do when he came into power.
3: Yeah, but by I mean, 1938, it, they had a pretty good idea what was going on.
2: Yeah, it, you know, not only could it happen here, it may well be happening here, and that's pretty scary.
5: Yeah,
3: I'm They're, with
2: they're militarizing the police. What are they going to they come after us next?
3: In some cases, they are. I mean, talk to anybody who was a protester during the Vietnam War or anybody who has who has participated in anti-fascist demonstrations. We now have, we now know that the uh, that the Department of Homeland Security was pitching the idea that the real problem, you know, in, in terms of these uh, public protests like we had in Charlottesville was not the fascists. It wasn't the neo-Nazis. It was the anti-fascists. They're the ones that we have to worry about, according
2: to yeah, yeah, the, DHS. The people, that po- people that were holding hands and saying, let's try to get, get along and Love one another that's correct yeah, we're, we're they really are the, big the problem. problem there aren't we yeah we're really the big problem aren't we
3: yeah no it's <laughs> it's it, it really is uh, concerning sam it really genuinely is thanks a lot for the call marta in big bear lake california hey marta what's on your mind today
1: well i was a bilingual teacher in california for for seven years and i was immersed in, in a racist system and I think that we have a very complex system of oppression. But also, if we could look at our modern history, including NAFTA, uh, it's somewhat, you know, like our system of of slavery, in that it's, you know, racism is based on an economic system, and like slavery, we both exploit Mexican immigrant labor, but also despise immigrants at the same time. Right. And NAFTA had horrendous. Horrendous effects on the uh, indigenous communities in Mexico and the uh, mestizos.
3: Yeah, over a million farmers lost their land because of NAFTA in Mexico, because of our subsidies to corn in particular.
1: Right, and exactly. And we exploit. You know, and I, I don't say we, but, you know, our industries have also completely devastated the people in Chiapas who had a communal land system and up. you know, did away with that, made it illegal. Also, you know, going into indigenous mountain communities and just cutting down all their trees that they, you know, yeah. the animals that they eat, you know, need those trees. But we want our toilet paper in the United States. So we need our paper towels. That's just continued a long history. And we've also trained the military in Mexico. We, You know, I, I met somebody who was involved in, in the military going down there and secretly training the police and the military. to. Well, we do it right
3: make, up front at the School of the Americas in Bennington, Georgia.
1: Exactly, and you know, Chiapas was repressed with, you know, not just the Zapatista uprising, but you know, many other social, progressive social movements.
3: How dare those people create a commune? (laughs) I mean, that's the bottom line. Marta, thank you for the call. You're, You're spot on, and 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 at the core of all of this is not just colonialism and not just you know dysfunctional capitalism, but a fundamental core simmering well, boiling racism. and it's something that we need to we need to face. we need to clear it out of our bloodstream or out of our body politic and and frankly we need to atone for it. And we can continue that conversation tomorrow. It's the end of the show. Thanks so much for being with us and don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. So get out there get active tag. You're it. We'll see you tomorrow.
2: You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.
4: Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.